Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Jesus Preacher Podcast. This is episode number two, and it's also our very first series. I'm calling it Theological Gymnastics. I'm going to read a few scriptures, make a few statements, and this will be somewhat of an intro. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, though, in this series. We're going to be talking about the early church fathers. We're going to go back to Augustine, who lived in the mid-300s. We'll talk about John Calvin, Martin Luther, Jacobus Arminius, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Charles Finney, and some modern-day theologians. I want to read the scripture first in Isaiah 55, and it says this, uh, verse 8 and verse 9. Uh, yeah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't care which side of the aisle your theological hero lives on or who you study after. I, you know, show me the books you're reading, and I will tell you your theology, probably. But I can get pretty close to it. Uh, there are not a lot of original thinkers today. Uh, We tend to read books by men and adopt what they adopted, that they adopted, that someone else adopted from somebody who lives in And the God is, is that you cannot, I don't care who you are, you cannot take all of the word of God, the vastness of the majesty of almighty God, and think that you can so dilute him and his ways and put him into some type of theological vacuum or, you know, doctrine that um, can fully define him, his ways, and his thoughts when you don't even know his thoughts. You can't even grab a hold of them. You know, you can't probably, we can't fully explain and articulate all the aspects of this universe that God created with the word of his mouth. And yet, we, man creates insane ideas about God, call it our theology, and we create all these gulfs and all these walls between Christians and believers. I believe one of the worst things today is that most people don't even read their Bible. Most preachers don't read their Bible. Most Christians who study don't study their Bible. We study men. We study their writings, man's words, man's thoughts, man's ideas. And I want to go ahead and and start reading a few passages of Scripture. And I'm going to tell you my thoughts on what I'm calling theological gymnastics. Because I'm going to tell you, uh, for some people to hold to certain facets or ideas about God or salvation or His ways, you got to do some serious gymnastics with the Scriptures. You know, you got to twist some things, you got to bend some things, you got to flip some things around and make them sideways and upside down for it to really say that. And I have saw so many scriptures uh, and ideas of God and salvation and his plan so butchered in the Calvinistic camp, the Reformed camp, and the Word of Faith camp, and the Charismatic camp. And what troubles me is that in the early church, there was not all these denominations, the early church, look, they did not sit around talking about theology with each other. They had a mission. Now, let's go ahead and read some things before I get carried away. 
Listen, there's going to be a series. There's going to be a number of episodes where I'm going to get carried away. Let me try not to let this one be that one. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, listen to this passage of Scripture here talking about the Lord, what's going on inside of him, and how he communicates with his disciples. Verse 35, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, I'm reading out of the ESV. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Let me pause for a minute and say, what do you think he was teaching in the synagogues? We know he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and we could have a whole series on the kingdom. But he was teaching. Do you think he was teaching something that remotely looks like what we try to teach today in regards to theology? We waste so much time, you know, teaching um, opinions of men versus teaching the word of God. Uh, let's keep going. It says, and he was healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are some serious theological ramifications to this passage of Scripture. And this passage is like a battering ram against quite a lot of theological doctrines today. Just this passage of Scripture, just the words of Christ right here. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're going to break this down in coming episodes also. The harvest is plentiful. I want to know this, that in our pursuit of theology, now Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Does your theology, <laughs> theology does your theological bent, how does it fit and loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. We're going to go into another passage of Scripture now. I want you to, if you would, you can turn to John chapter 4, and we're going to look in verse, I believe, 35. So John chapter 4, verse 30. Let's go up to verse 34. Verse 34, John 4, 34, and let's read on. Jesus said to them, Man, this again, here's Jesus talking. Now we know the whole Bible is the word of God. It's all, you know, speak is Jesus speaking. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There is a work that we have. And he said here that his food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I feel sometimes today we're so bored in America and it's, it's crazy that we have more books than any other country right now. We have more Bibles and more translations than any, any other country right now. And yet we are so spiritually anemic and weak that we sit around talking to each other about our dead, dry religion. Our theologies that can't hold water. That doesn't have anything to do, it seems, with the will of the Father. There's not a work that we're accomplishing that manifests in the lives of human beings. If we think that people sat around and just challenged theology all day, uh, you know, and their, their perception of what theology is versus 
feeding the hungry, clothing those that have no clothes, give, give, putting a shirt on somebody's back, feeding the poor, visiting the widow and the orphan. Here he goes, do you not say there are yet four months? Verse 35, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Now, this is uh, reminds me so much of Matthew chapter 9. There, It's harvest time. He's saying, look, right now I'm telling you, lift up your eyes and look, the fields are white for harvest. You know, it's time to be about the Father's business. And if and, and that involves people. It involves souls. We're going to go back again to Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to say some things in a second about theology. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and print new translations of the Bible, or just keep reading the same ones over and over and over, and write all kinds of books, and talk about the deep, deep, powerful truths of my sovereignty, and how people can really be saved, and those who will not be saved. This is nuts, you know? It's crazy that somehow today, I wonder if the Apostle Paul could have looked ahead and saw what we would do to Romans, what we were going to do to Ephesians, how we were going to so butcher Hebrews and so so just take these scriptures and twist them and do horrific gymnastics with them that have nothing to do with discipleship or the heart of the Father. Let's keep going on here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Wow. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I love theology. I love studying the Scriptures. I love good doctrine. But I feel like we are, you know, um, what did Jesus say? You, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. A lot of what I see with our, our, our theological bent and our theological passions, uh, they're a horrible distraction to the true work of the Lord. It's like, do we need to go to the Middle East and and gather, first off, I think, with some of our theological camps, we'd have to go to the Middle East where the fastest-growing body of believers, people are coming into the kingdom left and right. There is no hierarchical leadership, and it's primarily led by women. We need to have some theological camps go over there to let them know, oh, wait, are you women that are, that are being used by God and people are getting saved and you're baptizing people and you're teaching the Word of God? We have to come over here real quick to tell you that, oh, you can't do that. No, 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 because women need to be silent in the church. Could you imagine some how foolish, you know, in the arrogance and the pride that our theology, that we have the angle on it. You go to the early church and there were no denominations. There, there wasn't like 100 different sects of Christianity in one community, in one region. It was the church, the churches of Galatia. That you have the churches of Corinth. 
You know, they were all one. It was the church at Corinth that met in multiple houses and homes. Most churches, most of the body of believers, they met in houses. They didn't meet in buildings. That's not where they did church. Now, that's another conversation. But I'm saying, so we are, there are so many things that we have to correct absolutely in the body of Christ. And I feel like we are not even close because, again, some of our theological gymnastics are affecting us. They're hindering us from actually proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ effectively. I can't imagine today saying, hey, uh, and I got some awesome news. This is good news. And here's, here's one, another, is another theology, theological camp. I'm so excited. I've got some good news today. Imagine I'm just going to stand in from a thousand people. I got so much news that there are some of you that before you were ever born, I got some news that John 3.16 belongs to you. Second Peter 3.9 belongs to you because you are the few that God arbitrarily decided before the foundation of the world that you would be born again. He was going to pull you again against your will and cause you to be saved. Isn't this great news? And then for the bulk of you and the rest of you, which are more than the few that God decided to be saved, I've got good news for you too. Before the foundations of the world, God has arbitrarily decided that you would be condemned to hell. You are not of the elect. You would not be chosen. You are actually designed and created to be the vessels of wrath where he will destroy you in an eternal fire, separated from him forever, completely contradictory to your will also. That's great news. Rejoice that you have been chosen for eternal damnation. There are some theological camps that are so ridiculous that you sit and you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You've got to do some serious theological gymnastics to come to that type of conclusion. To write away miracles, to write away the power of God, to write away the love of God, and to create and manufacture this idea. Now listen, there are some essence and aspects of in the Calvinistic camp that are just so beautiful and values that are remarkable. And there are some that are atrocious and horrendous. There are some aspects and 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 of Arminianism that is amazing. It's incredible. It's beautiful. And there are some that are absolutely also ridiculous. And to think that these are the two camps, listen, there's aspects of Pentecostalism that are wonderful, amazing, powerful. And there's some that are outright ridiculous also. And so there is no camp that has the end on everything. And when we sit, though, and you only read your books or, you know, and, and you stay within the confines of your camp and, and, and that's it, but it doesn't touch society. When's the last time we've shared the gospel? When's the last time we opened up our mouth and said, hey, I want to talk to you about the cross. Hey, I want to talk to you about the resurrection. I want to talk to you about the mercy of God. I want to talk to you about his judgment so that you can have a greater appreciation of his mercy. Hey, listen, please come to my home. I'm going to open it up and I want you to come and have dinner with me. I want you to sit with my family and we're going to break open the word of God. And and then we're going to break bread and we're going to have some communion here. And we're just going to just be enraptured with who Jesus Christ is. We don't do that. We live isolated lives and selfish lives and we cherry pick. And if we don't cherry pick, we read books by men who cherry pick. You know, which seminary do you go to? I can tell you what your theology is. I can tell you what your passion is. You know, and it seems like everyone preaches after their own kind. You know, and the non-denominational camp, everybody's just parroting each other. 
There's not a lot of originality. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's easier to read a book and to preach that book because, you know, and, and come up with a really cool sounding series than it is to open up the word of God and say, we're going to read through Ephesians until we get through it. What I love and like a lot of the reform circles is that they're going to do that. I just don't believe uh, that many, some of their, some, let me be cautious here, that their conclusions are accurate. I just don't. Now I know I don't have perfect theology. There's no way I have perfect theology. And so that's why the best thing is, is to be able to sit with a Reformed brother, an Armenian brother, a Pentecostal brother, as to go to a Baptist boy, and let's begin to discuss the things of God. But what tends to happen is people argue over who has the insight of sovereignty, who has the best angle on this, the best angle of that, while the world around us is perishing, while the culture in America is imploding right now and we sit around and we argue with one another and yet the whole time that we hold to what we believe we believe this is truth and that is truth and yet that the truth is this that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways and as the heavens are higher than the earth so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts so listen we're going to start tackling some things. I'm going to jump on. We're going to jump on. We're going to talk about, again, we're going to talk about Augustine from the mid-300s. We're going to, we're going to cover uh, some of these early church fathers. And, and, and look, when we get on Augustine, I'm going to have a lot of fun. I want to know which, which Augustine uh, you know, do you hold to? Was it, was it the, the part of Augustine that John Calvin liked? Was it when he believed that healing was for today? Or was, was it when he believed that healing was not for today? Or was it when he flip-flopped again and said, no, no, healing is for today? And which, which Augustine, a man who lived in the mid-300s, great guy, did great things, but he's not Jesus. He didn't pen the word of God. And so we put these glasses on, and we cannot help but see things through this lens. Sometimes I feel like, man, you wonder if it is going to sound almost sacrilegious to some. If it had been better if we'd been born for some people in some of these Middle Eastern countries or in China. And under absolute communism where the Bible is banned and you cannot proclaim the gospel and you have to do it underground in hidden areas where you wouldn't have to deal with a lot of this foolishness. Not, it's not that they don't deal with things over there too. I know that they do. But I feel and I fear that we've got a harder road to go because of our theo- theological gymnastics. So we're going to have fun with Calvinists. We're going to have fun with some Pentecostals too. And I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender. And so we'll talk about some things and maybe we'll even address some things. I've had people that have asked me for a long time about, you know, Bethel. It's just I don't follow Bethel. I don't know much of anything about Bethel. Uh, you know, I know a few things here and there. I have friends that attend Bethel. I know uh, people who have worked at Bethel who absolutely love the Lord. And they've been doing some other things for the last few years. Uh, I know some people that are staunchly reformed, and and by the grace of God, they love me. <laughs> One dear friend who really wants me to be a part of his church, and it's full on reformed. I said, "Bro, this is you know a few years ago." I said, "You know, I'm I am not reformed at all. I'm like opposite of reformed." He's like, "I don't care. You're a brother, and I love this man. We could actually sit and we we wouldn't debate. We'd have very heartfelt conversations. I would share with him how." C.H. Spurgeon loved William Booth and actually invited him to speak a couple times. 
there's a number of, uh, uh, you know, hyper-Calvinists today that wouldn't even consider William Booth a Christian. It's, you know, it's just crazy. Anyway, there's a lot of foolishness in the charismatic camp and error. And there's a lot of foolishness and error in the camp of the Calvinists also. So theological gymnastics. And I hope that when we get through this series, my prayer is that you're going to love the Word of God a whole lot more and that you will have a personal challenge, something internal. I want to challenge you in some of your theological pursuits and ask you, is, you know, what's your motivation behind it? Is the Lord Jesus Christ preeminent above all? I, there was a man years ago, uh, Brother Carl Jones, and it was a defining moment in my life. I was a young man. I was very um, ambitious and passionate and determined and uh, very, very radical in my mindset. And he told me when I was 26 years old, he said, Randy, you're going to look back in your life when you get older and there's some things that you firmly believe right now and you will change your opinion. You will change some things that you hold too dearly. And it's going to, you know, you're going to gravitate to some other different things. I'm telling you, I, mean, I looked right at him. I said, won't happen. I was so stupid. I was so arrogant. Didn't even realize I was arrogant. And he was absolutely right. And, and anytime I've preached where Mr. Carl's been around, I, I will share that story because it impacted me. It was a very powerful moment, and it was true. You keep following the Lord. You keep reading the Word of God. And hopefully, you're going to continually change as you get more conformed to the image of Christ, as your mind is renewed to the Word of God, and stay in the Word and read the Bible more than you just read books by men. I do not believe Paul wrote the book of Romans for us to be able to annihilate it and dissect it in the mindset of a Calvinist or an Arminian. I just don't believe so. So anyway, there we go. Theological Gymnastics. Welcome to this journey. And if you like the Jesus Preacher podcast, be sure you subscribe, share it with your friends. Also, I do want to let you know this. If you're still listening, you haven't, you know, destroyed your phone or threw your phone against the wall because you hate the sound of my voice, you hate the things I'm talking about, there's a ministry school for free, and it's called The Factory. You can find it. I'm going to have a link in these show notes. You can go there. All you got to do is put your name in, your email. You can sign up for free. There's no cost for it. If you'd like to support the ministry, you, you obviously you can, but it is not required to, to be a part of the factory. Videos, blogs, teachings, tools, training, a number of things, random thoughts, crazy stuff. Also, if you'd like to support the Jesus Preacher podcast, you can do so right here in the Anchor app if you so choose to. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the journey. Theological Gymnastics.